Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester here in the UK. Chamat Karsandu from Toronto in Canada. And it's been a little bit of a quiet week in uh, in the world of MMA, but things are going to really start to ramp up work-wise over the course of the next week. So we've got a lot to talk about on this week's show. Uh, first off, Sandu, before we launch into all this MMA business, you've got a, a huge week of, uh, of WWE related uh, commitments you've got to dive into culminating in the Super Bowl of professional wrestling itself Wrestlemania now I've been out of the loop when it comes to WWE for what seems like forever so you are going to have to bring me up to speed on this but first off run us through the schedule because you've got a busy week ahead yeah this is huge Simon this is by far the busiest week for me personally when it comes to working for BT Sport behind the scenes, doing my social media stuff, because I'm typically part of that live broadcast team just because of where I live and the, and the time zone and all that kind of good stuff. And it's never this busy when it comes to UFC coverage. Because like with the UFC event, the live broadcast is Saturday night. Everything else you can kind of really manage, pre-plan for, et cetera, et cetera. But, and then sometimes, you know, on a big Fight Island week, you may get three events in a week but this wrestlemania schedule is nuts and it all kicks off tonight so we're obviously we're, we're recording this on a monday uh so when depending on when you listen to this this may have already happened but monday night raw this is the go home edition of raw so everyone that's involved with wrestlemania from the raw roster they're going to be going gung-ho making sure that every single storyline is is on point heading into wrestlemania so that's tonight on tuesday is the Hall of Fame. Now, that's the one thing BT Sport and you know myself don't need to worry about because that's going to be on the network. But after that, it's absolute nuts. Right, Wednesday, NXT TakeOver, night one. Thursday, NXT TakeOver, part two. Friday is the SmackDown Go Home. And it's a, they're apparently essentially um, using SmackDown as their pre-show. So what will typically be on a WrestleMania pre-show with a few title matches and you know a few belts on the line they've shimmied that into the smackdown show so that's gonna right. be big on friday and then wrestlemania night one saturday night wrestlemania night two sunday night and then the monday night raw after mania is always a big show so yeah it's a lot there's basically every single night for the next week barring tuesday night i'm going to be online plugged in behind the scenes and uh, trying to do my best to create some social content, depending on what happens on these live broadcasts. So yeah, if you're a pro wrestling fan, if you're a WWE fan, or if you're just the kind of person, just purely for nostalgia reasons, dips in just when it's WrestleMania season and just when it's WrestleMania week, BT Sport, that's your home for everything this week, pretty much, for all the shows and, of course, WrestleMania. So it's going to be fun, lots of good content. And um, yeah, I've got. I'm gonna have my Red Bull, my coffee, my sugary snacks at the standby to help me get through it all. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love a bit of professional wrestling, as 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 you know. But I'm, it had to kind of take a back seat to all the other stuff I was doing. So I'm so far out of the loop. But this sounds like a good a, a good way of diving back into it. I mean, I'm probably gonna have to write about this in some way, shape, or form in the new gig as well. They do have a WWE section. Uh, and it could do with a bit of updating. So uh, I might have to uh, get my hands dirty with that. So sounds like this isn't a bad time for me to suddenly start diving into this. So we've got 
Monday Night Raw, which is tonight, as 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 you and I are sitting here right now, just yeah. for those listening, it's half past eight UK time in the evening. Um, so we're, you know we're talking about three four hours from now. It's going to be kicking in, uh, kicking off on on BT Sport. So this is this is like the scene setting phase, isn't it? They're gonna they're gonna basically lay the set, set the table for WrestleMania, and then the big the big Raw show after then basically takes that and then carries it on for the rest of the year and then all into the other pay-per-views and stuff. What do I need to know? I mean, if I sit down and watch this show, for, actually, before I talk about this, are we going to see any spectators at any of these events, whether it's the yeah. NXT event or the, or the WrestleMania event? What's it going to look like? Because I know I've seen some of the Raw shows with the like the virtual the virtual fans, but I haven't seen actual human beings in attendance at a WWE show for a while. Granted, I've not been watching it every week so what's it going to look like on on uh, on wrestlemania night or and or and or those nxt shows i think the nxt shows they're going to look like pretty much all the other previous takeovers during pandemic which is you're going to have the screens uh, that with you know, all the virtual fans pretty much what you get on a monday night raw and a smackdown and then i think they have a few spectators behind the the pexi glass so there's definitely going to be some fans nothing near what you would get in a proper arena or a stadium but right. what everyone is going to be looking forward to seeing in terms of, you know, a live crowd is WrestleMania, where it's going to be in a stadium both nights. And I think that they're trying to sell or they have capacity for around 40 or 45,000 fans per night. And this is going to be interesting for a variety of different reasons. Obviously, it's in Florida. You know, as we've been covering the UFC shows there, they, they're taking an event to Jacksonville. They apply by a different set of rules uh, in that state. And so, whether with regards to you know COVID regulations and safety protocols, I, I don't personally know what that looks like uh, when when it comes to you know fans being allowed to buy tickets and you know things they need to submit or perhaps don't need to submit before they actually arrive at the arena or or the stadium in this case. But visually, it's going to be fascinating to see like a packed stadium for a WWE show because we haven't seen one in over a year now, which is completely bizarre. And it's also going to be interesting to see how the fans react to the wrestlers and all of these storylines because these guys have been performing in front of virtual fans. So in a way, they've been sheltered and protected from moving forward with whatever storyline and whatever gimmick or angle that they've actually had. They, they've not had to you know, take on board any fan reaction, whether that be positive or negative, right? So now, with all of these hardcore WWE fans that have probably wanted to cheer or boo or whatever they want to do, depending on what they see in front of them, we're going to see what that looks like for the first time in over, over a year. That's going to be fascinating. So yeah, so WrestleMania is going to have an absolutely... I don't think it'll be completely packed. We're not talking full, full packed stadium, 80, 90,000, anything like that. 40, 45,000 is what I'm hearing or, or what I'm led to believe on both nights. So... That's going to be fascinating to see. And then in regards to you know your earlier question with regards to the storylines and the angle, Simon, I think the big ones from a British contingent, you've got Drew McIntyre, who has pretty much been the man when it comes to Monday Night Raw. He's held the championship, uh, the WWE belt, for the better part of the last year. Recently dropped it. He's taken on Bobby Lashley, who's obviously got uh, an MMA record in his own right, and he's had a nice push over the last year as well, and especially it's all, all come together in the last couple of weeks. So Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre is your big main event on, on night one. 
But in addition to that, you've also got Sasha Banks, who arguably is the biggest star from the WWE right now, made an appearance on The Mandalorian over the course of the last year. Her reach is just insane. Like everything that we post when it comes to Sasha Banks is just, it goes viral. It just, the, the engagement numbers are through the roof. So she's got a hardcore, passionate following and she's just really, really good at what she does. She's taking on Bianca Belair, who many believe is gonna be the future of women's pro wrestling and, and, and the women's WWE roster uh, for many, many years to come. So she's kind of been just on this rocket to the moon, moving from NXT over to the main roster. And here we, here we are. She's been on the main roster for less than a year, and she's you know, you know, going to be involved in a championship match against the biggest star in the WWE when it comes to the women's roster in Sasha Banks. So Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair is definitely one to keep an eye on. But outside of those two matches, Simon, the one that's going to close the show, the quote-unquote real WrestleMania main event, is going to be Roman Reigns versus the returning Edge versus Daniel Bryan. It's a triple threat match for the WWE Universal Championship. That's going to close the show, main event, headline, night two, and Roman Reigns up there with Sasha Banks. Biggest star, uh, definitely on the, on the men's side. He's probably put in his best work over the last year. Like I've been blown away by his promo work, by his wrestling, by his character development. He's been paired up with Paul Heyman, just been absolutely hitting it out of the park every single Friday night on SmackDown. Then you've got a fantastic storyline with Edge returning after all these years, wins the Royal Rumble, and now he's going to be in the, in the main event against Roman Reigns. And then Daniel Bryan, very similar to, to, to Edge in many respects where he had to retire uh, due to injury, took a few years out, then got the doctor's clearance, made a comeback. And especially over the last year, we've started to see some of the best of Daniel Bryan. And so now he's involved. And this is one of those matches, I think, where if you've been a, a big WWE fan, you perhaps never would have thought of Roman Reigns, Edge, and Daniel Bryan, those, those three individuals, especially Edge more so than the other two, involved in a WrestleMania main event like this. So I think it's got every, a little bit of something for everyone, but those three matches I just listed off are the ones to keep an eye on heading into this weekend. Cool. Three very different uh, sized athletes as well. Three very different types of, of performer as well. Daniel Bryan, uh, he's smaller than me, I think. He's only like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, isn't he? He's not, he's not that big, but... Um, Obviously, he's got that. He's got that history in the game, and and you know, Edge, you know, he's an OG, isn't he? Pretty much. I mean, I remember when he first came on, first came onto the scene, and uh, you know, Roman Reigns. I remember Roman Reigns was getting booed out of the building every time he walked in there. Um, and I think there are a lot of people in the know, sort of, who were like, "This guy just needs to be marketed the right way, and he'll be an absolute superstar." You know, he could be the next Rock. You know, that's what people were saying. And he never seemed to be getting it. They seemed to push him as, as this babyface character, and it wasn't wasn't going over with the fans at all. Um, and unfortunately for him, he 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 got ill, didn't he? He had uh, leukemia, I think it was. Um, presumably, yeah. he's is he is he in remission now? He's is he is he not? Has, has that all been put behind him now? Yeah, so he's in remission, and so he's got the all clear. He, I mean, this guy he's beaten like leukemia, like I think on a few occasions at this point. Um, right. Um, I mean, more power to him. And, and again, that's kind of if it, if we're talking about this as a shoot, so to speak, Simon. That's been the really great storyline behind the scenes with regards to Edge, Bryant, and Roman Reigns, where they've all gone through career-ending, career-debilitating 
injuries or in yeah. Roman Reigns' case, cancer, and they've persevered. They've got back to the situation, and the three of them collectively are going to be closing the show. It's a fantastic storyline, really is. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, as I say, I need to I need to try and dip my toe back into the uh, the old pro wrestling waters. So it looks like this is a, a pretty good weekend for me to do a little bit of uh, playing catch-up. So uh, I'm looking yep. forward to diving into all that. Um, as I say, it, it has been a slightly more quiet week for, for MMA, but we did have a, a, a historically significant, I suppose you could call it, um, event this past weekend. Historically significant for here in the UK, at least. Uh, Bellator 255 went down in uh, Uncasville, Connecticut. It was the semi-final of the featherweight Grand Prix tournament, but it was the first show to be the first time Bellator, in in entirety, had a show streamed um, on BBC iPlayer. I think they did a test show from Paris um, where they did that part of the card, um, and there are a few little teething problems back then. This one went off pretty much without a hitch. It was it was really nice. It was really well done. Um, but the show itself, the start of a, a one-year deal with with the uh, BBC iPlayer, and uh, we'll see how this thing goes. But um, I, I did the report for the BBC uh, Sport website, so that so you can check that out online. But you also go back and watch the show as well. If you've got BBC iPlayer, you can go in and watch the show. I think pretty much in full. I think it's all on there. Um, and it was a decent event, but obviously there's the significance of having of Bellator having a sh- having a home in the UK where everything is self-contained before they had the U S based shows were on sky sports. The European series events were on channel five and the prelims were wherever you could find them. Normally it was on YouTube, Um, but everything was a little bit fragmented. And also before we got live, we had tape delay for what felt like years where an event would happen and we'd get it like a day or two after it, it happened. And it was a source of frustration, especially when Bellator had a fair few Brits, like Liam McGeary's title reign at light heavyweight, barely got any traction over here. Cause it, we, I don't think any of it was ever really shown live. So um, the fact it's all now in one place is, is fantastic. And we've got the first, the first show happened this weekend, Patricio Pitbull, retaining his featherweight title against Emmanuel Sanchez in a rematch. Uh, Sanchez took him the distance first time round. Pitbull finishes him, chokes him out cold with a guillotine choke, dropped him with a left hand, then chokes him out. First round, three and a half minutes, I think it was. Um, he's now going to face AJ McKee, undefeated 17-0 AJ McKee. That is probably the biggest fight Bellator could book. And I think that's the fight they were hoping to get when they put this tournament together. They put them on opposite sides of the bracket and they've both made their way to the final. We're going to get that later this year. Absolutely huge for Bellator. And because uh, these tournaments don't always pan out the way you want them to, do they? So, you know, there's always injuries or a freak result. You know, we've seen it with Strike Force tournaments in the past. They wanted Fedor and Overeem. That never quite, never quite panned out. Um, that fight could happen in Bellator, by the way. Fedor and Overeem. Scott Coker has left the door wide open for that. Um, or Fedor and Junior Dos Santos. That is also something that Scott Coker left the door wide open for. So that's just something on just something on the side to bear in mind. But yeah, these tournaments, they're brilliant. You get it's like March Madness with the basketball. You follow the, you know, you follow it all through. You get a, a meritocratic winner at the end who is a legit Grand Prix champion. Because the turn the uh, the featherweight belt is on the tournament as well, you're gonna get an undisputed champion at the end of it. 
and we've got the biggest fight possible in the final. It's perfect, Sandy. Yeah, I'm, I've never been the biggest fan of having a champion involved in the tournament or in these Grand Prix. So I feel like the Grand Prix and the tournament format, when it works, is really good to produce a legitimate number one contender, but then you've got a nice storyline built up where someone's earned their opportunity to fight the champion and to fight for the title. So that being said, though, like you said, Simon, the stars have really aligned here for Bellator because if they were being honest with themselves behind the scenes, this is exactly what they would have wanted. Pitbull versus McKee, two of the best in the world, regardless of promotion. On McKee, You've got on McKee's side, you've got someone who literally is a homegrown Bellator talent. All of his fights, I think he's like 17 and 0 at this stage, all of his fights yeah. have been under the Bellator banner. So, I mean, I think for the longest time, everyone thought Michael Chandler was the poster boy for, for Bellator. I feel like AJ McKee is now kind of like the future of the brand and the future of the promotion. And then on, on, on the other side of the equation, Pitbull. You've got a dual weight champion. You've got the, the guy that holds the belt at both 145 pounds and 155 pounds. He's even, I think, talking about trying to cut down to 135 pounds to become a triple champion. But what you've got in him, Simon, is you've got a legitimate pound for pound, one of the best in the world. Again, regardless of weight class, regardless of promotion, he is that, that damn good. And so to have these two now on a collision course is just it's money. It's perfect. And so hopefully Bellator will do a, a good job with the bells and whistles in terms of hyping up this fight and promoting it really, really well because that's going to be must-see TV. That's going to be a fight you just have to tune in for because either which way you go, it the, the winner of that fight is going to be catapulted to that proverbial next level. Um, but yeah, I guess from the UK perspective, you mentioned it, Simon, historic in the fact that it was on BBC iPlayer. I love the fact that everyone at home now in, in the UK... It says one home. You don't have to jump around to two or three different places to watch Bellator. And you can obviously go watch it in the morning because it's, as soon as the event's you know over on the iPlayer, it's it's immediately available on demand, yeah. which is this is great. That's fantastic, right? So that's really good. I, luckily enough, on Friday nights, I'm usually on my WWE SmackDown shift. So over on my side of the pond, Simon, after my shift ended, I was just able to flick over to youtube they had it on youtube for people in canada and so yeah, it was a freebie for them to try and get i think they used it as a like a a loss leader to try and get more showtime subscriptions further down the line so showtime yeah. made it free on youtube yeah yeah so i ended up watching it on youtube on friday night and again great performance by pitbull in terms of his finish and then that face off right at the end with mckee absolute money loved it it was great and I love the storyline that McKee is pushing here. McKee doesn't just want to beat Pitbull once. He wants to beat him twice. He said, I'm going to beat him for the for the featherweight belt, and then I want to rematch him for the lightweight belt. I want to take both these titles off him, um, and I want to do it in back-to-back -back fights. So can you imagine that? I mean, like, imagine he goes and, and beats Pitbull in the Grand Prix final. Grand Prix champ, featherweight champ. What do you want next? I want to fight him again for the 55 belt. And arguably he's he's got a better frame to go up to 55 because pitbull is not not big for a featherweight you know you look at him in a lot of his fights he's the smaller guy this is why it's so remarkable that well, it's so remarkable that he's a champion in two weight classes and one of them is 155 pounds he's not big but he's he's ridiculously talented he's got he's got ludicrously strong punch power for a guy of his size he's got really good submissions 
and he's got this unbreakable game face about him. You know, he just he's just re- mentally you can't seem to take him off his game. He's very focused, and he just goes in there and gets the job done. And uh, you know, he's he's been uh, making sure that while Michael Chandler's getting his title shot for the UFC lightweight title, he's been pretty active on social media, letting everybody know that you know he's the guy that finished Michael Chandler in, in less than a minute. So, um, which I think is very smart um, from a promotional standpoint. And, you know, you don't have to be with the UFC to be the best fighter in the world. It helps because the majority of the best fighters in the world are with the UFC. But if you're the, two, if you're the, if you're the welterweight champion in Bellator, if you're the light heavyweight champion in Bellator, in particular, those two weight classes, you have got a strong claim to be the best in the world at that weight because those are the two strongest weight classes that Bellator have, and they're you know they are they are comparable with the UFC's respective weight class. They don't have the depth, but top level they've got the strength. So you know, but I think someone like Patricio, who featherweight champ, lightweight champ. It's, it, it is remarkable. And uh, AJ McKee, if he goes and, and, and topples him and takes both his belts off him, then AJ McKee will be one of the biggest stars uh, in the sport for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a, he's a bit of a character as well. I know. Uh, I, th- I think you, I think you've interviewed him a couple of times, haven't you, Sandu, with, with, with Abby from sort of years back. Um, yeah. And he had that, star, he had that star quality back then. So, you know, to have fulfilled all of that and got to 17 and 0, and be on the verge of uh, a title is 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 pretty special, but uh, that was pretty much the only other action this past weekend was Cage Fury fighting championships, which our friend John Morgan was commentating on. Um, there was some incident during those two, but <laughs> <laughs> they're they they're always great fun to watch. Like John and CM Punk on commentary are hilarious. They're like they're 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 really good. The fights are always good, but we had a guy severed his finger in the co-main event on the first night. And I'm so glad that I learned about this before I sat down and watched the fight because I, I I would not have coped very well with it. I watch MMA for a living, but seeing a bloke's finger coming off is not what you want to see, is it? But yeah, so <laughs> he's had it stitched back on. All is well, you know. He's he's he, he's his piano lessons are probably going to be absolutely fine. So, but my God, yeah, losing a finger that's that's not what you want. What's the worst injury you've seen watching an MMA? Were you you were there for the Anderson Silva leg break, weren't you? You know what? I think it's yeah. I was I was there for the Anton Silver leg break. I think it's a toss up between the Anton Silver leg break and courtesy of one Chris Weidman at UFC one sixty two, sorry one sixty eight, versus Michael Venom Page delivering an incredible flying knee knockout to Cyborg and. Yeah. It literally caved his skull in. And if you've seen the x-rays of that, I mean, when that happened, everybody was really concerned and worried. And I remember at that time, I did a little quick piece for Fighters Only. um, Mm. And I remember speaking to the the in-cage physician. And the way he described it to me was that's the kind of fracture to the skull that you see from people that are involved in like car accidents mm. and or people that are like you know on on a, on a motorbike accident with a helmet so yeah. like that's and obviously the brain that's serious stuff you, know, you, you mm-hmm. break a, 
you break a leg, you break an arm, you break a collarbone. Okay, it sucks, but it'll mm. it'll heal. You'll walk again. Your brain is your brain. You've only got and that you only got one of those, and you know there's no yeah. there's no reversing any damage that happens over there, right? So I think yeah, that sucked. The finger was gruesome. You know, did, I mean, but you know, all being considered, I think he'll take that versus you know a leg break to Anton Silva, which took him out for what well over a year, something like eighteen months or something like that. And then yeah. the cyborg um, injury, I think that was it. I'm not, I can't remember if that's a hundred, I'm hundred percent certain about that, but I don't know if he fought again after that. I think he, I think he did eventually. I think he did eventually, right. but he was, he was on the shelf for a long time, for a long time. Yeah. yeah I was, I was case side for that. I think that I, 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 were you not there with me? I don't know whether you I were was there with you. I was there with but, you. Um, it happened virtually in front of us because it was almost yeah. right in front of us. And uh, he did the whole Pokemon uh, yeah. celebration didn't he where he rolled the ball across the cage and all of that but yeah that was mad the ones that will always live with me they're not necessarily the worst but they're the ones that make me sort of go oh and start sort of shaking all my arms out, all, all my arms out and stuff Frank Mir breaking Tim Sylvia's arm mm. uh, in a title fight and Tim Sylvia not even realising and Herb Dean saying oh shit and then stopping the fight because he saw he saw his arm his forearm pop that was bad. Uh, and actually, the other one involved Frank Mir as well. Frank Mir versus Big Nog, where he he, he Kimura'd Big Nog. Um, and uh, Nogueira, just being Nogueira, wasn't ever going to tap. And uh, so um, Mir basically broke his arm. And it was, I can't, I think, we, I think I covered a Bama show and we went to an after party where they showed that fight. Um, or sorry, they showed that event live. And I was there with a whole load of Bama fighters and every single person was like jumping around and just going, you know, everyone was like really sort of grossed out by it. <laughs> but also they were, they were pretty wowed by the fact that Mir could, could do that to someone as legendary as, 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 uh, as big nog. So those two are the ones that really stand out for me. I mean, I've seen more gruesome injuries for sure. Um, you know, Overeem's face getting smashed up by a uh, Jazino Rosenstroke was pretty graphic, but, and uh, yeah, we've seen so many, but it's those ones, it's those bone break ones. You actually see it break in front of you. They're the ones that really get to me. Um, but um, yeah, thankfully it seems like uh, the injury that we saw at Cage Fury this weekend has already been addressed. Uh, the, uh, the medical, the medical procedures have been, have been done and fingers crossed everything will be will be okay uh moving forward but boy might have been a relatively quiet week right we've had we've got bellator they got back up and running that was our first big event of the year lots more to come one coming this week in fact um but what we're really starting to warm up for now these ufc events and and the big ufc storylines they're really beginning to gather some steam you know they're really beginning to pick up pick up some momentum. It looks as if we have a trilogy fight, Sandu. Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier hasn't been officially announced yet. Um, who knows? By the time this podcast goes live, it might have been. But they've both gone out and and uh, it was Poirier first who confirmed that he has signed a contract to face Conor McGregor. McGregor then went on social media like the following day, I think it was, and said he has also agreed to the fight. The fight is on that based on a pair of them, UFC 264, which I think is July 10th. Um, so it's that 
typical international fight week slot, that sort of first big weekend or second big weekend in July. Um, what 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 do we what do we think, Sandu? I mean, it's it's a big fight. There is no championship on the line for this fight, although McGregor's talking about getting some sort of belt commissioned. <laughs> um, what do we think? Is this is this the right fight? Should one of these guys been in a title fight? Um, and what's at stake for the winner and the loser? Do you think? Well, look, I think for Dustin Poirier, this is the right fight because this is the money fight, and he wouldn't be making the kind of money he's probably going to be making for this Conor McGregor fight if he was fighting for the title next. So, one hundred percent, Poirier has done the right thing for the well-being of his family and his financial future and, and all that kind of good stuff. Is this the right fight for Conor McGregor, Simon? Only time will tell. We'll only know the answer to that question depending on the result of this particular fight. For the US, UFC perspective, they've got one of the biggest fights of the year pretty much on their hands. It's going to be July 10th. I would imagine it would be Vegas, unless they go back to a state that's open like Florida or Texas or maybe even uh, something like Fight Island. We don't know location yet. That's TBD. But when it comes to having your biggest star performing for you, yeah, that's always good business. And because of the Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler fight that's already booked for the now the vacant lightweight title, you would imagine that the winner of Poirier McGregor would go on to then fight for the title at some point later on down the road. So in terms of the future of the lightweight picture and that whole situation, it's pretty sorted itself out with these two fights being you know booked and reported or officially done. So like you said, Dustin has made it official. Connor has tweeted something out. I believe our friend Ariel Helwani has also reported that it's a done deal. So outside of the UFC, making it official and slapping a poster out there on social media, uh, I'm pretty. I think we're pretty safe to to assume that this is all done and dusted here. And yeah, I think in terms of stakes, Simon, absolutely massive. Dustin Poirier, outside of the money, has always said he wants the valid the the, the the validation of being a UFC champion. Like, he's not going to stop, you know, the interim title was nice, but he wants to be undisputed champion. He has literally put that to a side. He could have fought for the title next very easily. He was he was next in line, but he chose the Conor McGregor fight. If he doesn't beat Conor McGregor, Simon, then he might be not completely at the back of the line, but he, he would have been, he'll be a few fights away probably again in regards to fighting for the title at any, any point in the future. And then for Conor McGregor, Simon, we haven't seen him lose back-to-back, -back, you know? He usually takes the, takes the loss, he takes the L, but then he comes back, he figures it out, he makes the adjustments. We saw what he did in the second Nate Diaz fight, which is, which is this is quite bizarre. When he lost Nate Diaz the first time around, he, the, the turnaround was 168 days when he came back and fought Nate Diaz again the second time around, and he won a decision. The difference in terms of days between the first fight against Poirier and July 10th is 167 days. So he's pretty much got the same amount of time to work with John Kavanagh and his training partners and his coaches to figure this out, get back to his best, figure out what went wrong in the first fight and figure out the game plan, something that they can execute using his best abilities and you know whatever he brings to the table, whether it's a, a change in stance or whatever the case may be. I know, I know a lot's been made of his stance. But man, Simon, you know how fans are. You, you have hardcore MMA fans that are watching regardless. So you don't have to worry about those 
those people going away anywhere anytime soon. Then you have hardcore UFC fans who will just watch the UFC product. They don't care about Bellator, One Championship, Cage Warriors, or any other promotion, right? And then you have casual fans slash Conor McGregor fans. And let's be honest, that's where the UFC and these promotions are always trying to get as many of those eyeballs on their product because that's where business is booming. That's where they really start to make the big money. And those people, unfortunately, Simon, they, they come and go. And it depends whether you win or lose. If Conor McGregor loses again for the second time in 2021, back-to-back -back losses against Dustin Poirier, loses that trilogy, does he lose some momentum? Does he lose the hype? Do those casual fans just be like, oh, it was fun while it lasted to be a Conor McGregor fan? I think I'll just you know move on now and uh, wait for the next big thing to, to, to turn around and pop up in this cage-fighting world that I kind of casually dip my feet into once or twice a year. So... I think there's a lot on the line. Listen, Conor McGregor is good for the, for the rest of his life. He's got generational wealth with everything else going for him. But listen, at the end of the day, he's a competitor. He's a fighter. He's still in his prime. And he wants to be champion again. And he wants to be the best in the world again. He's clearly motivated. But this is going to be a very, very tough fight for him, considering he just lost to Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier is one of the best in the world. you know, And he's in his prime. He's at his peak as well. So I'll say that to all say this, Simon. It's fascinating. I'm intrigued. I'm interested. And there are genuine stakes here outside of a UFC championship, which is going to make this a must-see fight for everybody involved in this business. It's an absolutely huge fight. And I'll be honest, just sitting here listening to you lay all this out, a thought leapt into my head that really I hadn't really considered that strongly up until just now. Has Dustin Poirier made a really, really bad mistake? Because here's the thing. You are absolutely bang on when you said Dustin Poirier has always been about validation, being considered the best in the world, becoming the UFC lightweight champion, undisputed. Even when he got the interim belt, he's like, yeah, this is, it's good, but it's not the real thing. I need to go and get the real belt. I need the undisputed belt. The opportunity was there for him, staring him in the face, and he walked away from it to take a bigger payday. Now, if you're looking at it from a, a looking after your family standpoint, from a doing what's right from a financial standpoint, there are very, very strong arguments you could make to say he's made the right decision. What I'll say is this, and this was all sort of happening while you were talking. Dustin Poirier is one-on-one -on -one in a trilogy with Conor McGregor. His most recent fight, he didn't just beat Conor McGregor, he finished him. He's the first guy in the UFC to finish Conor McGregor with strikes, right? Um, this is a fight that Conor McGregor wants back. Conor McGregor also has a trilogy with Nate Diaz. Even though McGregor won the second fight and the momentum's with him, he still wants the trilogy with Nate Diaz, right? Nate Diaz has won and lost fights since then. So the fact that Dustin Poirier has just gone and beaten Conor McGregor, Poirier has all of the leverage and all of the power when it comes to this. Why wouldn't you go fight for the lightweight belt? Go for the thing that you've wanted your whole career. And because even if, if you win happy days, undisputed champion of the world, you then have the biggest lightweight title fight, arguably in UFC history with McGregor stepping up for the trilogy fight at some point, right? If you lose the title fight, what, what have you lost? You've lost the title fight. Have you lost the trilogy with McGregor? 
Nah, of course not. Because McGregor wants to get that wants to get that back. McGregor got stopped. He got finished. He got TKO'd. So that that's a fight that I think was in the bag regardless. By taking the McGregor fight first, Poirot is gambling everything. I don't know if he needed to do that. I really don't. I, I think, I mean, it shows an awful lot of confidence. Obviously, I've beaten him once. I can beat him again. And the sooner I face him, the smaller the the, uh, the window of opportunity for Connor to improve and tweak his game. Poirier is obviously very confident, uh, but he's also smart enough, I guess, to think that the less time I give him, the better chance I've got of making sure that I win again. But even so, the lightweight title is right there in front of you. And you probably know the McGregor fight is always going to be there for you, win, lose, or draw in the title fight. So he's actually, he's gone all in. He's gone all in. He's gone for the big payday, which I would not begrudge a guy like Dustin Poirier doing that. Uh, and I'm not saying that he's, uh, I'm not saying he's being greedy in, in, in any way, shape or form. He had a legitimate decision to make and I understand why he's gone the way he's gone. But I think he's taken the riskier path. I really do. Because if he gets beat by McGregor, he's going to have to win one, maybe two fights to get a title shot. And given how the lightweight division is looking right now, he might not, he, he might not be able to do it. It's such a such a tight division. So you've got the opportunity staring you in the face. If it were me now, sitting here right now on March 5th, on, on April 5th, looking at this, uh, I think I'll be taking the title fight first. I'll be taking the title fight first. The McGregor fight will always be there. But yeah, as you say, the stakes could not be higher. As for Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor is sitting pretty. He's got the exact fight that he wants. He's got the exact fight that he wants. Any other fight would have done okay for him. The Diaz fight would have done okay for him. The Masvidal fight even would have been okay for him. But the Poirier fight is the biggest fight that he could make right now because, number one, it's the immediate rematch. You know, it's like that. that's the, that's the current storyline. But number two, if he beats Dustin Poirier, who everybody with, with, with the sound mind knows that Dustin Poirier should probably be fighting for the belt next. You beat him, bang, you're right in the mix for the belt. So Conor McGregor is in the perfect spot. He just needs to go out and execute on fight night. Dustin Poirier has put everything on the line. And if he loses, who knows how much he's actually going to end up losing career-wise. But yeah, massive payday, all props. But to get back to the belt after losing to McGregor, um, that's going to be that's going to be a tricky one. So I'm really interested to see how all this pans out. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this fight a lot more between now and then. But it's going to be big. And as soon as the UFC officially announce it, that build-up is just going to be, you know, it's going to be great. And the sooner they announce it, the better. Because a nice long run-up, that's what's going to deliver their pay-per-view dollars as well. So, yeah, it's a big one. I'm getting really excited just talking about it. It's going to be absolutely huge, isn't it? on the docket when we kind of planned what we we're going to talk about on today's show. But a part of me thought, will they perhaps have McGregor and Poirier involved in the new season of the ultimate fighter? I know they were talking about Usman and Mazadal, uh, were they going to perhaps wait? We know now that the new season of the ultimate fighter is going to be coached by Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega, which is all fine and dandy, but Jesus Christ, Simon, these two lads aren't going to fight until what back end 
of the year. And fingers crossed, there's no issues with injuries and COVID and anything else that happens. And it also made me think, wow, you've got Max Holloway, who just put on an all-time classic performance, arguably the best performance of his career, and reminded everybody who he is, put him back into a situation where he could just wait for Volkanovski and you know um, Ortega to fight and then go on to fight the winner. He's probably now going to have to fight somebody else in the interim, unless he wants to wait, but we kind of know he's not the kind of guy that likes to just sit on, on the wayside and wait around. He likes to stay active as well. So, yeah, there's just so much going on, Simon. But back to uh, Poirier McGregor 3, absolutely huge. That is the fight of the summer. That is July 10th. That is the fight of the summer. And uh, like I said, I think if, if history tells us anything, that will most likely take place in Las Vegas. It will be the culmination of International Fight Week. Um, but again, it, everything depends with regards to how the state of Nevada wants to allow um, sporting events to, to open again. And I tell you what, we've already seen the UFC sell out in record time, both in Jacksonville and Houston. I tell you what, man, in terms of money, this is a money fight for, for Poirier. It's always a money fight for McGregor. This is a money fight for the UFC. Those tickets are going to be gold dust. Because it's going to be, I mean, again, if they go to Vegas, it'll be the first major event, major fight back in the fight capital of the world. McGregor will be back. There'll be tons of fight week festivities. Absolutely huge. Can't wait. Yeah. And what's going to make this, if you're a combat sports fan in general, we also know that Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury has been signed. That's a two fight deal. They're aiming for late June, early July for that, for the first fight. Now, they're not going to be stupid enough to book those two huge fights head-to-head. -head. That would just be stupid. But we could have a scenario where back-to-back -back weekends, we could have Fury Joshua 1, McGregor Poirier 3, um, possibly even in the same city. Who knows? Um, but what we do know is if you're a fan of combat sports, this summer is going to be absolutely outstanding. So many big fights uh, coming down the line. And it may be, potentially... A fight that we talked about on last week's show, and I was pretty pretty low on, if I'm honest. Uh, Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis, the rematch that we never knew we needed. Um, we might be needing it. We might be needing it because uh, you've got some you've got some news about that, Sandu. And is this is this a negotiating tactic from the UFC? Is this the UFC looking to force John Jones's hand? Tell us tell us what we know. Right. So according to our good friend Ariel Hawani of ESPN, the UFC has. And I'm quoting Ariel here, kicked the tires on a Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis rematch for June 12th. However, at this time, for Ngannou's side anyway, uh, timing doesn't work out. So, but I mean, the report just tells me and tells us that that's where the UFC are headed. Uh, it, it looks like things aren't panning out with regards to behind the scenes negotiations with John Jones and just seeing some of the comments already today, Simon, it's just like, it's, it's so weird, lukewarm. People feel, I think, a little bit gutted because the fight everybody wants is Francis and Garner John Jones, right? That's the fight that everybody is clamoring for right now in that heavyweight division. The thing with the Derek Lewis fight is, and, and again, this is no knock on Derek Lewis. He's actually done it great for himself he's put himself into a position to fight for the title again he's on this fantastic run but the Nganu fight the first time around was an absolute stinker number one number two 
there's a, a bigger fight that everyone's clamoring for. And so it's kind of it's kind of, it's kind of weird. And like Francis Ngannou coming off of this massive moment where he's defeated Stipe Miocic. He's on cloud nine. Like you want to, you want to, the only way to go up is like, right, John Jones is like the next big thing. The next big challenge is going to be to fight arguably the greatest of all time, not to fight Derek Lewis. So I kind of feel like John Jones and his team have tried to do what they can with the UFC behind the scenes. It does a little bit remind me, Simon, I don't know if you feel like this as well. Do you remember when Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz fought the second time around? There were, there were a few things going on behind the scenes where that wasn't a certainty either. And there was that famous moment where Conor McGregor didn't turn up to the press conference. And Dana White basically said, oh, we'll just get somebody else to fight for Nate. And Nate was like, no, 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 no. I'm fighting Conor. So as as much as John Jones is trying to get the best deal for himself to potentially fight Francis Ngannou and make that move to heavyweight, you have to think Francis Ngannou and his team must be sitting there thinking, well, if you're going to pay John Jones... Or if John Jones is throwing out some of these numbers, let's talk about us. We want to get our slice of the pie as well, and we want to make sure we want to get paid as well. But it takes two to tango behind the scenes of the UFC to get a fight like that done. A fight against Derek Lewis, where it's a rematch. And I'm sure, listen, I'm sure Francis Ngannou would be motivated to, to right that wrong. He wasn't happy with his performance. He wasn't happy with how that fight played out the first time around with Derek Lewis. He wants to make sure that there's, you know, no one's got a, a bad taste in their mouth when it comes when they talk about Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis, um, and I'm sure he wants to stay active and keep you know earning those big paydays now, especially when he's a champion. Because when you're the champion, outside of the UFC, other opportunities present themselves. But yeah, just reading some of the comments today, Simon, people are like, th literally, there's two things I'm reading. We want the John Jones fight, and the first fight with Derek Lewis was an absolute stinker. So why would we watch it a second time around? And that's just calling it like I see it. That, that's that's the comments. And yep. fair play to people because, you know, I think a lot of people feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, I do I do find it slightly amusing. What does kick the tires even mean in this regard? I mean, you, are you booking the fight or are you not booking the fight? You know, it's it's like this is this is this is I think this is classic uh squeeze play tactics here from the UFC. I really do. I think this is the UFC letting it be known that. They are more than prepared to move on from John Jones. But what they aren't saying is that they are moving on from John Jones because they haven't said, yeah, we're booking this fight. They're kicking the tires. That means they're thinking about it. Well, of course they're thinking about it. Dana White said in the post-fight press conference after the after the Ngannou win that the Derek Lewis fight is is a potential option. So yeah, I just think I just think they're trying to squeeze John Jones a little bit. The thing that would be very interesting here is if Francis Ngannou turns around and says, look, I've smoked everybody in this division. Um, okay, the Derek, Derek Lewis is the one notable exception because that fight, you know, it, it, Lewis actually won it, but it wasn't it wasn't a great fight. That's the, the only anomaly. But Ngannou could turn around and say, look, I've smoked everybody to get this title shot and you've got the pound for pound goat standing there wants the fight. Book the fight, you know? Uh, Ngannou is is I don't know how much how much of a strong negotiator Ngannou or his team are, but if they pulled a Nate Diaz on the UFC right now and said we're only fighting John Jones, we're not interested in fighting anybody else, that puts the UFC in a hell of a position because seeing what Ngannou has done to the top five in the UFC heavyweight division, to see him win the belt against the greatest heavyweight champion in UFC 
uh, possibly MMA history. You can't just walk up. You can't just walk up and say, "Well, okay, we're going to strip you of the belt then," because you won't fight Derek Lewis. You know what I mean? So I, I maybe Ngannou's got a role to play in this. I don't know. But um, the other argument is, if you're Ngannou, maybe you think to yourself, "Say, look, get a Derek Lewis fight out of the way. If he goes and does to Derek Lewis what he's done to everybody else, then there really is no one else because he's smoked everybody. Then he can turn around to the UFC and say." The, uh, the UFC and just say, book John Jones, book John Jones. Cause I have borderline murdered everybody else in your division. Jones has to be the fight. At which point the UFC's hands are tied. Jo the price for Jones would have gone up. The price for Nganu would have gone up. So I don't know. I think even though Jones is throwing around all this, all this talk about big, big money and all the rest of it. And quite rightly, the longer they wait to make this fight, the more expensive it's going to be for them. I think. Um, I really do. So I just hope that, as I said last week, cool heads prevail. They find a way to make it work for everybody and they get the fight signed because this is the one part of the sport that I hate. I, I really hate all this. People pretending that pretending to be interested in one fight when really they, they're not. People trying to, you know, people are having to public or feeling like they have to publicly negotiate for money when they shouldn't need to everything going out in public when nothing should ever be done like this in public, it should all be done behind closed doors, get the deal done, get the fight on and let's do this, you know, but if we get Lewis and Garnu too, we get Lewis and Garnu too, or Garnu Lewis too, to, uh, to give it the correct billing. If we get it again, we get it again. Um, it still, are, it still begs the question, what's happening with John Jones? The UFC can't afford to be without John Jones. They've just been bought out hundred percent by Endeavor. Uh, who I think now, if they haven't completed the sale, or sorry, the, uh, the purchase, then it's going through. So they're going to own 100% of the UFC before they own uh, the large majority chunk of it. They're going to own all of it. That that then means they've got carte blanche to do things however they want. They haven't got an answer to other 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 shareholders and all the rest of it at, at, at this point. Um, but... Make the big fights. Get you need all your big stars on deck. You've got Connor. You've got this new scary heavyweight champion. You know the lightweight division's back up and running. You know it, all everything's gradually lining up. The one guy who is on the outside looking in is Johnny Bones. He's arguably the best fight you've got. So yeah, I just hope it all happens. And all this kicking the tires business, I pay no attention to any of that. Tell me when the fight's booked. Tell me when the fight, even if one half of the fight is, is agreed, if Francis Ngannou has signed a contract to face Derek Lewis or has verbally agreed to face Derek Lewis, that's news. Kicking the tires, that's not, you know, kicking the tires is kicking the tires. That's just, that's just having a chat. So I want to see something happen. And I'm, with all due respect to Derek Lewis, I want it to involve the name John Jones and not Derek Lewis. At this point, Derek Lewis can fight the winner, but we'll see how it all shakes out. Stuff is happening. Stuff is happening. They want to book the fight, but it's just how they get to it. So we'll see. We'll see. You mentioned one thing that I thought was interesting, and it's the whole can the UFC survive and thrive without John Jones? I think they can, Simon. And I think that's where, you know, they um that's where they hold the power. And that's where they've traditionally always had the power. I think the anomaly's been Conor McGregor. Right. If you again, if you go back into the history books, when when Conor McGregor was on his you know on his rise, 
the Fox deal, the USADA deal, the Reebok deal, and the ultimate sell of the UFC, the Mayweather fight, everything, just the timing worked out so fantastic for Connor. Everybody else, they've had to kind of almost, I don't know, force the UFC's hand, and it's not been exactly ideal. I mean, look at Roy Masdal, biggest, one of the biggest stars in the sport, coming out of that BMF fight with Nate Diaz. I mean, what, a, what a year that was in 2019. And then he only finally gets the opportunity to fight Kamaru Usman on short notice to be a replacement because the UFC were in a jam on Fight Island with Gilbert Burns dropping out. And then they called Mazadal, who had been stalling for a better financial deal, and then he finally got it done. Why hasn't Nate Diaz you know, fought more consistently over all of these years? It's all down to the opponent, the right fight, the right money, yada, yada, yada. So we've been here before, Simon. We've seen some big fights not happen in the UFC. I'm personally not going to allow myself to get excited for the idea of Francis Ngannou, John Jones, because if I'm being completely honest and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, I don't think it's going to happen. And if it does happen, I'll be pleasantly surprised and I'll be so happy because that's what I want and that's what everybody else wants. But just looking at history, looking at what's happened right now, reading the, the tea leaves, looking at Dana White's comments, looking at how John Jones has handled the situation on social media, I just don't feel like this. these two parties are in a, in, a, in a good spot right now to try and be productive and move forward in a positive direction to try and get a fight with Ngannou done. So I'm already resigned, you know, you know, resigned to the idea that we're going to get Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis too for the UFC Heavyweight Championship later on this year in the summer. So let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah. It does beg the question, if they're not going to give John Jones the fight, if they're not going to pay the money to, to get him in that fight, what was the point of him moving up in the first place? What, what, I don't, I don't get this, right? So they, he's, he's, he's relinquished his light heavyweight belt, which tactically might not have been the best move given what's going on right now. Um, but I mean, who's he going to fight? I mean, ser seriously, who's he going to fight? Because this is supposed to be a sport where the best fight the best. It's not a sport where the best fight the best. If, if the price is right, this isn't, this isn't, do you know what I mean? Like it's Derek Lewis should not be fighting for the heavyweight title over and above John Jones. The only reason why he he might is because he's cheaper. And that that that's not how this should work. I know this is prize fighting. I know there's business, I know there's business and all the rest of it, but when push comes to shove and you're talking about the biggest prize in the sport, you need the two best guys in there fighting. Otherwise, what kind of a title have you got? You know, I and this is this is the tricky thing. If you're not gonna book that fight, if that fight is not gonna happen. And I know John Jones has gone public and tweeted saying, oh, you might as well release me. You can see why he's saying that, because if you're not going to book the guy in that fight, really, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? You know, if the UFC are saying, well, we're only, you know, we're going to lowball you for fights or, you know, we're going to pay you an amount that you don't think is enough for fights, but we're not going to let you go fight somewhere else. Like, there's an issue there. There's an issue there. And that's all, all down to contracts and intellectual rights and all the rest of it, because the UFC have these guys tied up pretty tight. So, um, because under a different, a different market, John Jones would be able to say, okay, I'll go fight for Bellator. I'll go fight. You know, I'll take one off fights wherever, 
you know, for, for, for a big purse. doesn't matter. Um, but because of the way this business model is all put together, we've got a scenario here where the best, the best fighter on the planet wants to face the best heavyweight on the planet. And the, and the number one stumbling block is, is, is the, the amount of money that they want to fight. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It's frustrating. I just hope it all, it all gradually chips away and we eventually get to a point where the fight gets put because it's too good a fight. It's too big a fight to not have it. But, um, you know, sometimes you can't always have, you can't always have good things in this sport. And I guess that's, that's a good segue to uh, what's coming up this weekend because we, we we were hoping to be talking about a Darren Till fight week, Sandu. It was supposed to be a Darren Till fight week. It was supposed to be Darren Till, Marvin Vittori with Israel Adesanya and the UFC middleweight title potentially dangling like a carrot waiting for Till if he could get the job done against Vittori, who also fancies a shot at Adesanya, having gone to a split decision with him earlier in his career. Darren Till goes and breaks his collarbone. And he's out. Up steps Kevin Holland. The fight is on. And that is the new main event of UFC on ABC2, which takes place Saturday night. You'll get that uh, on BT Sport as per usual. Um, thoughts on this one? Looking down the fight card, there's some decent fights, some fun names on this card. Um, but let's start with this main event because it's not the main event every, everyone was hoping for. Marvin Vittori still is itching to get a big win. Kevin Holland has got some making up to do after his last performance. So it's still an interesting bout. I mean, I think from a Marvin Vittori perspective, the positives are you've already put in the work in this training camp and you're still going to fight on the date that you were scheduled to fight. It's just a different opponent. That's all it is, right? And right now, Marvin Vittori is riding some serious momentum. Four wins in a row He's coming off a you know a really solid win over Jack Hermanson um, just what three or four months ago, and I think Darren Till would, would, was the ideal step up in competition for him, in addition to Till being a big name. So a win over Kevin Holland coming off a loss to Derek Brunson, I don't know how much that would do for Vittori moving forward. In my opinion, I don't think it would do too much. I think he would just kind of stay where he's at right now. Maybe if he wins against Holland. The move is perhaps to try and rebook a fight against Darren Till um, later on this year. I think I still think that's the, the the right fight for him. And then on the Kevin Holland side of the equation, Simon, Big Mouth is a lucky boy. He's a very lucky boy because he absolutely shit the bed against um, Derek Brunson just a couple of weeks ago. It was not good. It was not good whatsoever. And a lot of people were high on him. We talked about this at length a few weeks ago. We're high on him coming off an outstanding 2020 campaign where he won five fights in a row. Derek Brunson, main event, good opportunity. And he's just talking, 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 but he's not performing, you know? So now he's got an opportunity to once again, he's got another main event opportunity. It's fallen on his lap. And the positives are that he's still relatively in shape. He just put in a camp for Derek Brunson. He just went five rounds with Derek Brunson, um, where I don't even think he took any damage, if I'm being honest with you, too much damage, because it was very much a grappling, wrestling uh, um, exchange between the two where Derek Brunson got, got the, the, the better of those exchanges to, to win on points. 
So on that side of things, he's good. Also, this is he's used to this, Simon. He's he's used to getting a call on short notice. He's used to fighting, you know, just a few weeks removed from a previous bout. So this is all definitely in Kevin Holland's wheelhouse. And Vittori is in that kind of, I guess, realm of a Brunson where he's got some momentum, he's got a number next to his name, and a win over Vittori would actually help Kevin Holland and propel him. And maybe he would even take that Darren Till fight away from Vittori. Um, so, yeah, so I think um, more positives definitely on the Kevin Holland side of things here. Um He's a very lucky boy to get this opportunity, get this chance. Because, like we spoke about a while back, Simon, you know, main events like this and opportunities like this don't grow on trees. So, I'm intrigued to see a who wins, what the performances are like, what Kevin Holland looks like, and then ultimately where the winner goes from here. Who, in my opinion, I think the winner should go and fight Darren Till later on this year when he's recovered from his injury. Makes a lot of sense. I think if you're looking at it, it's a weird one, right? The guy who has been in place for this fight for so long. All of a sudden, he's the guy who doesn't have much of an upside. Kevin Holland seems to have all the upside going into this. He's the guy who's got to basically uh, get back into the UFC's good graces. And if he gets a win over Marvin Vittori and just proves that that, that loss to Derek Brunson was a blip, a brain fart, whatever you want to call it, um, then he's back in the mix again. And, uh, you know, Marvin Vittori takes a, a, a really, a really uh, damaging loss. But... Vittori gets to fight and wins. He doesn't do well. As you say, it doesn't do much for him. So it's kind of a standstill fight for him at this point. Uh, the only benefit, of course, is that he gets back in the mix and he fights. He's been waiting for an opponent for a while. So um, a main event with some intrigue. I wanted to just, before we wrap up, two fights that we absolutely have to talk about on this card because it's the Brit Pack. We've got two Brits on this card. The co-main event, no less. Sadiq Youssef is taking on England's own Arnold Allen. This is a big fight for both guys. I'm a big fan of Sadiq Youssef. He's a really, he's a he's a fun character, really nice guy to chat to, um, and he's got he's an outstanding striker. He's a really good striker. Uh, he's currently riding a six fight win streak, um, having and five of those have been uh, under kind of under the UFC banner. He won through the Contender Series, and then has won four on the spin. Um, with his most recent one being against Andre Feely um, at UFC 246 January last year. He's good. He's really good. Um, and he's taken on our man Arnold Allen, who is on an incredible run of form, but he's struggling to find fights. You know, it, it's hard to get fights over here as a Brit. He hasn't fought since January 2020. So they're coming off a similar a, a similar layoff. He, uh, he beat Nick Lentz last time out. And uh, this is this is a big fight. I think whoever wins this fight is going to get themselves a really, really big fight um, next time out. What do you reckon on this one, Sandu? This is this is this is the big opportunity, co-main event as well. Um, win this fight, you're probably going to take on a real big name at 145 pounds next time out. Yeah, and this is just going back to the main event for a second. Why Till falling out was such a shame because this card was really set up for the uk audience for the most part yes it's on abc in the us but it's a daytime card it's not prime time and, and i think we spoke about this a while ago the ufc haven't traditionally put on a prime time card going up against wrestlemania dana white vince mcmahon behind the scenes they've had a pretty i think cordial relationship 
And so even putting on this card, they thought, right, well, we won't go head to head against WrestleMania. We'll put on a daytime card. It works out because we can have Till in the main event so that the, the fans in the UK, they can watch one of their own prime time in the evening. They don't have to stay up until three or four o'clock in the morning. And we'll also litter the card of a few other Brits. And, you know, you mentioned Arnold Allen there, like prime example, co-main event, good, good opportunity for him. It's still a good opportunity for him, Simon, because nothing's changed time-wise. All of his friends and family and fans back home, they can watch him at what? I don't know. It's going to be at 6, 7, 8 o'clock in the evening, something like that. So that's a good time and great opportunity for him. He's on incredible form, as you mentioned, Simon, uh, going back to what? Uh, 2014. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine wins in a row. If he wins... On Saturday, that'll be 10 in a row. And then you're really looking ahead and at the top end of that featherweight division, maybe trying to get a big name. And listen, I don't know if this is a bit of a stretch, Simon, but considering Volkanovski and Ortega are going to be coaching tough, right? And so they're not going to be going at it until you know much later on in the year. Do you think a win over Sadiq you know, would perhaps... And again, if Arnold Allen says the right things, if he cuts the right promo, would it be a bit of a reach to see if he can maybe get a fight with Max Holloway? Fresh matchup, interesting. Easily the biggest name he could get in that featherweight division uh, right now in terms of people, you know, fighters that are available, former champion. Is that too soon? Am I just out of my mind? Because um, I've seen some other fights being announced already, you know. I know that we're still thinking about Yair Rodriguez versus a beat Magomedsharimov at some point. We'll see if that happens. We know that Korean Zombie, he's going to be fighting Dan Ige. And then I'm looking at Arnold Allen, and he's number 10. And I think a win this weekend breaks him into that top 10. And just given everybody else, I don't know. What do you think, Simon? A win and then Max Holloway? I mean, that's the the ideal dream dream scenario, isn't it, really, for for Arnold Almighty Allen? That would be a hell of a jump. That would be a hell of a jump. I'm just looking at the division, but a lot of the guys are tied up, as you say. Mm. A lot of the guys are tied up. I mean, it, it also asks the question, what are the UFC going to do with Max Holloway? Because in my opinion, they should do an interim title fight and they should do Holloway versus the next highest ranked available contender, which would be Zabit based on the current UFC rankings. Um, but I don't know whether they're going to do that. You know, who knows what they're going to do? If you're Arnold Allen, you're 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 firing names left, right, and centre. If you win this fight, I mean, he's ranked ten. Um, you know, he, he he deserves top five opposition if he wins this fight for sure. You know, if he wins it inside the distance, then the world's your oyster. Just just make noise and you know, shoot your shot. You never know. You never know. So um, you know, he's uh, he always comes across as a little bit laid back and. I don't know, maybe sometimes a little bit too laid back because he, he has this kind of devil may care. So, yeah, you know, I'll take whatever comes sort of thing. Stare down a barrel of the lens of, of, of the camera and say, Max, you're going to need a fight. Let's, you know, let's do this. Because that will appeal to Holloway. Holloway won't won't turn around and go, no, that's not in his, that's not in his nature. So, um, but yeah, it is a, it is a seriously good matchup and, uh, Arnold Allen, I think, is probably the more powerful of the two. Sadiq Yusuf is probably the more polished striker of the two. I think it's going to be a really interesting bout. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a great showcase for both guys. It really is. And uh, the other the other fight that I wanted to talk about, 
uh, involving a Brit, of course. Hunter Azure versus Pride of Wales, Jack Shaw. That's going to be on the prelims as I see it right now. It's currently listed as the fourth fight of the night. That may all change before fight night starts. You never know. They might bump him up to the main card, put all the Brits on the main card. You just don't know. But um, Hunter Azure come through the contender series um and uh he got he got finished by brian kelleher last year but bounced back after that he's nine and one but jack shaw's unbeaten former cage warriors champion has looked excellent inside the octagon he's finishing people left and right and um he's got a 100 finish rate in the ufc you know two fights two wins two rear two rear naked chokes can't ask for much more than that he takes on hunter azure on saturday night wins that fight then he'll start getting some big names because you can't ignore a guy who will be at that point, he'll be 14 and 0 um, and finishing everybody. So if he gets that done, then there's big things ahead for, for tank Jack Shaw. Um, I'm excited. I'm really excited by him. I was excited watching him come up through cage warriors and he's got the right mentality. Sandu he's, he's, uh, he's not got a massive ego about him, but he's very, very strong uh, mentally. And, uh, I think he's got he's got the right mentality to really make an impact in one of the in one of the toughest weight classes in the UFC. We see it seems every week we talk about someone at bantamweight going, this guy looks really good, but he's in the toughest division in the UFC. This guy looks really good, Sandu, but he's in the toughest division in the UFC. So um, I don't know. It's uh, I, I certainly think he can pick up a win this weekend. I do too. I expect him to win here, Simon. And you obviously mentioned his credentials there. Just Cage Warriors. Once again, the proven track record of, of providing talent, the best of the Brits, to the UFC. And he's on form. He's undefeated. He's, he's young. He's 26 years old. Um, he's fighting at 135 pounds. And not only would it be great for the British contingent, but just the Welsh contingent. You know, we saw, you know, Brett Johns make the move away from the UFC to Bellator. So in terms of people flying the flag for Wales, you can definitely jump on board the Jack Shaw bandwagon now because he does seem like he can be the real deal. And I think from a matchmaking perspective, this is this is good, right? He's 13-0. He's taking on Hunter Azure, who's 9-1. Great. That's what you want to see. Bring the talent along nicely. Let them showcase their skills against opponents that have a similar background, have a similar level of experience in terms of number of bouts and what have you. And yeah, like I said, going back to uh, the Arnold Allen situation, this isn't a moment for you guys. Take advantage of it because there'll be more eyeballs on BT Sport. There'll be more eyeballs on your fight just because of the fact it's going to be prime time in the UK. So it's it's a real moment to do something spectacular, both in the cage, on the mic, take advantage of the spotlight, take advantage of this opportunity because look daytime cards and prime time cards for everybody at back home barely happens we're lucky if yeah. it happens maybe once or twice a year and so take advantage of the moment lads make the most of it and uh, and hopefully that'll help resonate back home help build the following get more fans behind you and hopefully lead to bigger and better opportunities down the road in the ufc yeah yeah potentially a really big night for the brits uh on saturday night just very quickly on that main card, there's, there's three really good fights to kick off the night. Mike Perry is back against Daniel Rodriguez, who, not a big name, but he's good. He's seriously good. That will be a banger. 
put that one down as a potential fight of the night. Nina Ansteroff is back, um, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, she became a, a mum not all that long ago. Now she's facing Mackenzie Dern. Sam Alvey versus Julian Marquez should be a good one as well. They both love to stand and bang. So there's a lot on this card. Scott Holtzman's back on this card against Matthias Gamrot. That is a great fight at 155 pounds. Jim Miller's on the card. John McDessie's on the card. Uh, Jorgen De Castro, who is, uh, is is pretty handy at heavyweight, he's on the card. So there's there's a lot going on there. You know, the, might, might not have the big superstar names, but this is going to be a fun card top to tail. So check that out. As Sandu said, early start time this week. We'll um, keep an eye on both our social media accounts because I'm sure we'll be sharing those start times between now and fight night once they get officially confirmed. But uh, for a show that was taking place in a quiet week, Sandu, we've managed to stretch it beyond an hour again. I don't know how we do it. You just can't shut us up. But um, I think that's probably enough for one week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for those of you that want to help support the show, the best thing you can do right now is go to our YouTube channel. It's an audio-only version of the show right now. Video will be coming soon. But for now, if you can go to our YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, that will be massive. That will be huge. Outside of that, thank you if you're listening to us on Spotify. Thank you if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts. If you are listening to us on the Apple Podcast platform, do us a favor rate and review us it helps the show get found to brand new listeners on apple podcast outside of that simon we're still on substack it's the britpack.substack.com and you can always just go to the website the britpackmma.com and then from there you can find us on platforms you can find us on social media and all that good stuff and speaking of social media simon is at simon head on Twitter at Simon Head Sport on Facebook and Instagram. Yours truly, I am at Sandu MMA on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Great stuff. A packed show on maybe not the most packed week, but um, we just love talking MMA, getting getting around a microphone once a week and uh, shooting the breeze, talking fights. It's the, it's the best thing. And uh, we're going to be getting busy in the next few weeks. We've got big fights coming and. Uh, Starting this weekend, you know, the Brits the Brits have got a big stage and uh, fingers crossed they'll be able to uh, rise to the occasion and uh, pick up a couple of really notable wins. So all the best to them on fight night on Saturday night. Enjoy the fights, guys. Enjoy an early night or an earlier night um, after the fights and uh, we will catch up with you guys again next week.